Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. It's Chelsea in the Champions League final. Istanbul awaits for the Blues and so too to Manchester City as we prepare for an all-Premier League showpiece. Thomas Tuchel has only been at Chelsea for three months. Could he end his season with an FA Cup and Champions League double after Frank Lampard's struggles? We'll take a look at last night's second Champions League semi-final and we'll do the same with the Europa League 2 as Manchester United and Arsenal look to book their places in the Gdansk finale tonight. Also, we'll try and answer your questions here on Football Social Daily, the only daily Premier League podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't ever miss an episode again. My name's Niall McCorn. Alongside me, we've got Marley Anderson. How are things, Marley? Uh, yes, not too bad, not too bad. Apart from the abuse you were getting from John Paul Hughes before we started hitting record. JP, how are things? <laughs> Absolutely outstanding. What a way to warm up by being able to berate uh, Marley about Newcastle because he couldn't hear me <laughs> over the microphone. Perfect. JP's getting his digs in early doors. Uh, of course, <laughs> let's get started by talking about last night's Champions League semi-final second leg between Chelsea and Real Madrid. Chelsea won by two goals to nil. They were deservedly through last night after another decent performance. Before we analyse and pick apart Chelsea's performance. Just how bad were Real Madrid, JP, in your opinion? They looked a shadow of the Galacticos side that everyone's spoken about so fondly over the years. I can't remember seeing a Real Madrid team look so bad. Um, I mean, you probably need to go back some distance uh, to find uh, such a toothless, flat performance from Real Madrid in, in, such a, in, in such a big match. And I know that they're doing well domestically. You know, they're still right in there with a challenge for the, for the title this year alongside Barcelona and, and uh, Atletico. But it's uh, so bad, man. I mean, I, I thought it was quite interesting. I know that Zidane had said pre-game that uh, he felt the team were going to have to, and I quote, suffer on the pitch. Um, uh, in big games like this, you know, I, I think that's one of the things that you're looking for people to go above and beyond and kind of really put themselves through the pain barrier. And it struck me last night that there wasn't a single Real Madrid player on the pitch prepared 
to do that for the for his club, for the badge, for the history, for the occasion, for the manager. Um, absolutely stinking. They were rotten, but uh, and Chelsea made them pay. Yeah, they definitely stunk the place out. And a lot of people actually on social media, Marley, were suggesting how they couldn't believe Real Madrid had even got to this stage in the first place. <laughs> well, yeah, the way the way they performed. I mean, I think they struggled through the group this year, didn't they? Um, I think Munch and Gladbach beat them and a couple of other teams. I think Shakhtar were in there and it was a really tight group. But um, yeah, they got through and it was very confusing as to how they got this far, to be honest. On, on the way they played last night, um, I think it's just a, a bit of a bigger thing at Real Madrid. I think there's a lot of uncertain times coming. Um, it seems like they they need uh, almost like to, to sort of wipe the slate clean again um, and go again. Like I think this... Talk about cycles of players. Um, I think they're coming towards the end of their current cycle. You know, the likes of Benzema, Cruz, Modric, Ramos, even Varane. You know, there's 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 age. They're at an age where they're not getting any better. So can they can they move them on and, and go again? And have they got the financial means to go and do that? I'm not really not really sure they have. Because um, as we know, everyone in Spain seems to be lumped with a massive, you know, debt and what have you in the club. So. Um, yeah, I don't, it just seems like they've come to the end of, of the road, Real Madrid. I think they need another era, um, especially if you look at the performance last night. I think there's only really Benzema's header inside the box that I can remember where you'd say you'd expect him to score. Everything else is out, you know, shots from outside the box. And Mendy, Mendy had a, a decent game in goal for Chelsea, but not he wasn't massively, massively tested. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, Real Madrid in the semi-final, you do expect more of them. Um, and going into the game, you're thinking, like, is that history and that that pedigree is that enough to to see them through a game like this? But last night they were they couldn't they couldn't match Chelsea anywhere. The Kante and Mount just ran the show, and Havertz yeah. and Werner were causing issues, and they they never really had a, uh, an answer for anything Chelsea posed them. We'll talk about N'Golo Conte and Mason Mount in a sec, but I thought what was really interesting was the Manchester City fans were all rooting for Real Madrid, JP, because they wanted that glamour final. Is it not just they were rooting for them because they're not as good as Chelsea? And we clearly saw that last night. Yeah, I, I think um, when you Marley makes a really good point there about, about the, the sort of you know the stature of Real Madrid and stuff like that as well. I think I think it was maybe Glenn Hoddle said it in commentary last night that uh, he talked pre-match about the importance of playing the team in front of you and not the badge or the history or the mystique around Real Madrid. And there's no two ways about it. If you are heading into a Champions League final as favourites as I, I believe City are you would like that big name of Real Madrid there it's one for the history books to look back on and go remember when we beat Real Madrid in European Cup final we won our first there's, there's, there's a nice story there with Real Madrid's heritage and history in that tournament but I also think they're not daft Chelsea's going to be a much tougher game for them there's no two ways about it Tuchel has uh, Granted, they know each other very, very well, and I think they, they play each other at the weekend as well. Am I right in saying? But what you, when you get into these European tournaments, and you get, you know, it's all about the, the, the freshness of it. Again, it comes back to you know the European Super League thing with them playing each other all the time. You do want to get to that showpiece final with the big names that are there, and 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 yes, it, it, it's not as sexy Chelsea v Man City because it's a, a game you can see a few times a season, but. Chelsea are going to present a really tough obstacle for City. I keep doubting Chelsea and they keep proving me wrong. So it's I, I have to say, even though it's, it's a fixture we see quite regularly, it's pretty mouthwatering considering the way the two teams are playing at the moment. 
Yeah, I mean, that was the first time that Chelsea have played against Real Madrid since August 1998 in the UEFA Super Cup. So there's not really been any Champions League fixtures between the two sides. And yet, as you say, with the Super League proposals, we would have seen Chelsea playing Real Madrid every season for the next 23 years. So I think that just about <laughs> says it all, doesn't it? Marley, you pinpointed N'Golo Conte and Mason Mount. Let's start with Conte because I thought he played like a man possessed last night. We've seen him do this over the years for Leicester when he won the Premier League title in 2016. And he signed for Chelsea and did it under Antonio Conte. And he's done it so, so often. Not so much under the last couple of, couple of seasons under Maurizio Sarri, I'm thinking of, when he was almost played a little bit out of position. But do you think he's still somewhat underrated as a player? We talk about him being the best in class, the best in his position. But it was almost like some people were surprised to see how well he performed last night. Yeah, I think I think with Kante, I think um, you remember when he came to, to to England with Leicester, and everyone was like, "Jesus Christ, this guy covers the pitch like I cover a five-a-side pitch." Like, <laughs> well, not me, but um, you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. You see me huffing and puffing around five-a-side after five minutes, but you know, Kante. I think everyone just was took by his his energy and everything like that, and then I I just think we got a bit used to him. Like we got used to how good he was, and then that kind of, um, it just sort of took the shine off how good he is. And then Sarri came in and just you know had to pick Jorginho every week in his preferred position and try and play through him, um, and didn't really use Kanti in his best sort of role. And then we seen Tuchel talking um, before the second leg on uh, what was it uh, Wednesday night, uh, Wednesday sort of morning or Tuesday night, saying I always wanted Kanti at every club I've been at. Um, and that kind of performance was reflected in in what he said because he just uh, he just covers the pitch so well. Like mm. everyone in midfield, he had like it was two on three in midfield: Kante and Jorginho versus Modric, Casemiro, and Cruz. I yeah. mean, them three are all world class players. And Kante looked like he was the only one in midfield, just running around, taking the yeah. ball, carrying the ball really well from sort of defense to attack. That's my favourite thing about him. He like glides with yeah. the ball, like from inside his own half, and then all of a sudden he's on yeah. the edge of their box, and you're thinking, how he's underrated with the ball seconds? as well, isn't yeah. he? Like carrying it. Everyone talks about him winning it back and intercepting things like that, but his his ball carrying is superb as well. Um, I think I seen a, a tweet last night that made me laugh that said he nicks more balls than ele- than an electric razor, <laughs> which uh, <laughs> which really got me, um, which is great, and it's it, it's funny because it's true <laughs> because you know. You can't, you can't, you're almost scared to pass it in midfield because he's around and it's almost like you've got to go to the flanks to get round him. And, you know, if you keep, if your wing backs can cover Real Madrid's front three, you know, the wide, the wide guy is Vinicius and Hazard. Yeah. You know, you're onto a winner there. And um, he's just rabid, isn't he? He's always there. Yeah. Like, he's always there. And he must be just such a nuisance to play against. Yeah. Because he's just always around you like a wasp on a summer's day. You just can't swat him away. Yeah, 100%. So. It's good to see him uh, to get back to that level and get that praise as well because you know he's he, he has been this good for you know what is it five six years he's been in England yeah. now so mm. it's nice to see him take uh, a, a big game and come out of it I think he got man of the match in both legs yeah. um, so that tells you uh, tells you everything one hundred percent and I also saw another tweet saying that Riyad Mahrez is in the final with City and Golo Conte is in the final with Chelsea two players that won the title with Leicester. Yep. And people always look back at that Leicester title winning side and say, well, it was a moment in time. It's never going to happen again. It was an incredible achievement. And obviously there was a slice of luck along the way. But those two players are now in the Champions League final and have shown time and time again just how good they actually are. So maybe we should give that Leicester side from 2016 a little bit more credit 
for actually yeah. how good those players were. I'm not a big believer in following data too much, and I think that you can spin data and stats any way you want, but there's one really telling stat about last night. I felt that um, even though Chelsea only had 32% possession, you look at how dominant they felt throughout the match and how many chances they created with 32% possession during that period, and that was down to how effective Kante was in winning the ball back and with any pass or two, as you say, in the speed that he moved up the pitch, turned them into real genuine chances. I mean, he was involved, he was kind of the architect of both goals, wasn't he? And the way he did it. But to only have 32% possession, but be that dangerous every time you win the ball back, I think spoke volumes for the role that Kante played and just turning things around and putting Real Madrid on the back foot every single time they tried to get any momentum. Definitely. What a performance from N'Golo Conte, but also what a performance last night from Mason Mount. Two English sides in the final of the Champions League and two young English stars lighting up both respective ties. Phil Foden for City, but Mason Mount again excellent last night for Chelsea. I saw someone on a national radio station yesterday talk about how you can proclaim it's two English sides in the final, but they're not English owned and there's barely any English players. I think that the performances of both Mount and Foden in the semi-finals of the Champions League over the last couple of weeks, Marley, it's just flown in the face of that argument because for me, they've been two of the most outstanding players on the pitch and that includes all of the opposition as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, if you, <laughs> makes me laugh when... But I don't I don't know how how you have to wake up in the morning to say, oh, well, they're not really English, are they? Because, I mean... <laughs> the two you know best I mean? players from both legs were English. I just don't understand <laughs> the argument. Oh, man. I mean, I'm not even going to say his name. Who said that? I think I know who you're on about, but he's a very... <laughs> Opinionated little man, isn't he? Very strange, strange man. But um, never mind. Let's ignore him because don't want to give him airtime. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Mason Mount gets or has had a fair bit of stick, hasn't he, in the over the last sort of couple of years because managers could see how good he was and fans almost couldn't quite see it the same. Um, I think we seen last night. He was by far, well, him and Kante were by far the best two players on the pitch yep. in terms of attacking. It was, it was. Um, Mason Mount and in terms of defending and, and ball carrying as we said before it was Kante but he's he's an incredible player Mason Mount he really is um, and people say you know he's, he's Gareth Southgate's head boy and all the rest of it is he his is adopted son and all this stuff <laughs> I mean come on he's you've got to give him credit for put the tribalism aside um, this guy is very very good and he proved it last night I think he probably could have won a penalty in the first half when he yeah. when he skinned Militao um, and mm. stayed on his feet um, but you know he he stayed up and and tried to create the tapping for Werner, but it was uh, well cleared by Courtois and just all night he was a threat. In it, I think the amount of goals he scores is really really good for a player his age, and he almost has that Lampardishness about him, as in he get he arrives in the box at the right time. He he's um, he knows where to be, and that's great. And it's great for England and it's great for the summer because yeah. he's coming into it on the back of a Champions League final, and then you look at the other. The other semi-final, and you see Foden making um, assists and all sorts and man of the match performances against uh, against PSG, where he looked like pretty much the best player on the field. So mm. it's a great time for England. Now it's just up to Southgate to uh, to wedge them all into a system and get the best out of them. Exactly, and I think the goal that he scored as well, coming across the defender, getting in front of him, showing that determination to poke the ball in. Yeah, I thought that just proved exactly why Mason Mount uh, is so well liked and. You know, I think it's a, an interesting debate and we've spoken about it so many times. Grealish, I mean, is he going to get a look in now with these two players playing the way they are, both in the Champions League final? And I still think a fit Grealish, you have to take him to the Euros. But 
I don't envy Gareth Southgate in the situation he's in. What I do think about Mason Mount is obviously he was well liked by the previous incumbent, Frank Lampard, JP. But Thomas Tuchel, in three months at Chelsea, has guided Chelsea to an FA Cup final, now a Champions League final. He steadied the ship and now it looks like they're going to finish top four as well. So does that just show how inexperienced and perhaps how it was too soon for Frank Lampard to take on that Chelsea mantle? Maybe, but just before I address that, let me just quickly come back to that last point because you can talk about Mason Mount and you can talk about Phil Foden and you can talk about Jack Grealish and bring them into any system you like. But lads, Grant Hanley is going to be facing you <laughs> in the Euros in the summer. <laughs> so don't get too carried away, boys. <laughs> Grant Hanley and his in- Feasibly large head will have the three of them in his pocket at any point. So don't get too carried away about it. Um, I'll tell you what, they'll do well to to gravitate the orbit around head, to be honest with you. Um, got Scott Brown acting as the alien as well out there in space. Face. Oh! No, it's alright, you can say that now. He's away to Aberdeen. Don't worry about it. You can slag him all you like. But, um, but no, I, I think... It, it does, um, as you say, Niall, highlight maybe the inexperience of Lampard versus Tuchel because one of the things that I think really great managers do is they very quickly quell any drama that they may see arising at their club. Um, there's very little drama on the pitch with Tuchel. There's very little drama mm. off the pitch. Well, there was a fight, JP, a couple of weeks ago at the training ground and he seemed to sweep that under the carpet brilliantly. Exactly. To just... I'm not, you know, the same situations will be arriving, be that on the pitch during a game or in training in the boardroom that Tuchel has to deal with, uh, that Lampard had to deal with. But with that little bit more experience, um, maybe a slightly different strategy in how he deals with these things, he has just managed to get a much better tune out of that orchestra. Because let's make no let's make no mistake, um, this is no Cinderella story here um, for either of these two clubs getting to the Champions League final. Um, I think I had a quick look earlier in the last 20 years. Um, Chelsea have spent just shy of two billion and uh, City the same. Which again, actually referen- referencing back to your previous point, only highlights the absolute brilliance that Foden and uh, Mount have shown to be able to come through the academies to get into the, the, the first teams and actually be the pivotal players and clubs clubs uh, with that level of expenditure but what it shows is that is, is that Tuchel again maybe with his experience at PSG and what have you maybe he was less intimidated maybe he felt he had less to prove maybe he just has a bit more um, uh, methodology and uh, uh, with, with his decision making that he makes day to day because that's what's it's about not just about these big tactical decisions that you make during games or how you line your team up or who you pick but the little decisions every single day. What are these little tiny atomic habits? Because it, it, it's not it's not open heart surgeries performed on that Chelsea squad or that Chelsea team. It's tiny little changes that have yielded remarkable results. And that comes from a man very, very, very assured in his own methods. He's done an incredible job. And I think the most important thing that Chelsea could do is uh, get that 18-month contract of his extended as soon as possible. Yeah, definitely. I think that Thomas Tuchel has shown just how good a coach he is. And, you know, management is a, a nuanced thing. There is no right or wrong way to manage. It see, what works for one manager doesn't work for another. I, I think it's fascinating, though, how Frank Lampard had the same squad and that Chelsea side were eighth and ninth. And now they're in a Champions League final and possibly could win the FA Cup as well. Unbelievable, really, when you think about it. And it's on that that I want to bring us to our next point, 
because as always we're obsessed in this country particularly on social media by ranking things ordering things trying to figure out what's better than the other and that's exactly what happened last night the debates started raging if Chelsea win the FA Cup and the Champions League is that a better season than Manchester City winning the Premier League and the Carabao Cup so let's bring it to the podcast let's bring it to the table come on Marley what do you think if Chelsea win the Cup and Champions League double is it a better season than Pep Guardiola's League Cup and Premier League double uh, I don't know. I feel. I feel does like. It ma- does it matter though? This is the thing that I was kind I feel of hinting like yes, at. Yes, but also, I don't, I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. This is what I mean. Like, I don't know. Really it's just, can we not just celebrate it all? Exactly. I don't know. Maybe. Exactly. I mean, people are obsessed, JP, aren't they, with mm-hmm. ranking stuff above the other and trying to figure out, oh, but this guy's a fraud because this guy had this much money to spend and this player only scored penalties, like as if penalties don't count as goals when they quite clearly do so it's just stupid stuff like that where you're you're always trying to find like to one-up each other sort of thing totally man i I saw a poll online this morning asking is is in kante so is in goal kante the 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 best midfielder in the world that how can you be the best midfielder in the world you know what i mean how how is that even a thing do you have any idea the nuance and and, and differences between different types of midfield players never mind the best player and all that kind of stuff it's just it's just nonsense but uh apart from that yeah it would be a better season if they won the champions league (laughs) um i am prepared to uh, I, i i think it would be a greater achievement considering what they had to, where Tuchel had to pick up from versus uh, what, what Pep's had to do. Um, but but the whole thing is, is just extraordinary. What, what an incredible period for, for English football and for the supporters of those clubs. It's uh, They should really, really cherish this because will it last forever? I don't know. We see these cycles, don't we, where these dominant empires are built and then they, they, they come crumbling down. You know, we've seen it with, with the Italian clubs, we've seen it with the Spanish clubs. English clubs had, had their... Uh, had their own uh, kind of peak period many many decades ago, so it's it's, it's just a brilliant brilliant time for uh, for English football and, and fans of English football, and they should uh, should cherish every moment of it because uh, I tell you what, I would absolutely love to have a crack at some of that stuff in Scottish football. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might see an all English Europa League final as well with Manchester United and Arsenal in action tonight. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Going to take a quick break here on Football Social Daily, and afterwards we'll be answering your questions. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, the daily Premier League podcast from Sport Social. If you hit subscribe or follow or whatever it may be on whichever platform you listen to this podcast on, you won't miss a single episode. Still brand new shows brought to you every single day of the football season. And of course, there's only a few weeks to go. We have very much reached the business end of the campaign. We've just been discussing about how Chelsea have joined Manchester City in the Champions League final and all Premier League affair there in Istanbul, which brings us nicely to our AQA section. And if you've not listened to the podcast before, AQA stands for All Questions Answered. It's where you send in your questions to us via social media. You can find us on Twitter at The Sports Social, Instagram at Sports Social Official, and just search Sports Social on Facebook to find us there. DMs are open. Send in a question and we'll give it a stab at answering it on the podcast. This first question is in relation to the Champions League final. It comes from Simon, who's a long time listener so thanks very much for your support Simon but this is the first time he's ever asked a question he wants to know should the Champions League final be moved to Villa Park instead of Istanbul considering there are two English teams in the final I guess you could just say should the final be moved to English Shores or Wembley or something like that because there are two British teams in the final yes 100% it makes it but with UEFA this almost makes too much sense for UEFA to go yeah that makes sense um, I think in the last month, UEFA have got a little bit of 
positive um, press. Press and yeah, they they look they look almost like oh you know these lot aren't too bad. Um, and then they go and do the Champions League reform and kind of brush it under the carpet while they're, they're fighting this Super League thing. And everyone goes, oh, hang on, are they are they? Assholes? <laughs> and then and then they come out with this. <laughs> like I, I I don't believe for a minute like it's going to get changed to uh, to Villa Park or to England or even to Central Europe. Um, but what are the reasons behind it? Why why do you think they should money? Be? <laughs> where where is it? In um, it's in Istanbul in the Olympic Istanbul. Stadium. I mean. Doesn't make sense, does it? Because there's no fans going to be there. So why not? Well, move there might it? be. There might be. I think in the Gdansk final in the Europa League, tickets have gone on sale, but the capacity is like nine thousand, something like that. And obviously, ah, you yeah, divvy out the, the tickets to the corporate things. As well, yeah, that's that's ultimately what it comes down to: the corporate stuff, the sponsors. You know, the official tyre partner's got to get two hundred tickets. The official coffee partner's got to get three hundred tickets, and all mm. the rest of it. That's that's what it comes down to. Um, so even though it makes all kinds of sense to move it to England, either Villa Park, like Simon said, or um, to the Millennium Stadium or Wembley or Old Trafford or any anywhere, St James's Park, sorry, let's have some decent football there for once. Um, it's it won't be done, and that's the that's the unfortunate thing I think because it does make all kinds of sense to just have it in a country where restrictions are being lifted um, should be pretty much all lifted almost by by may the 29th so you know why not why not have that why not have ten thousand fans and then corporate on top of that or something like that so could you not do that yeah uh you probably could are, are people even allowed to travel to istanbul on a plane yeah, by well, that time I, I don't know this is part of the whole debate isn't it i mean i don't know what your take is jp but of course with coronavirus still very much lingering around and it won't go away i think for a long 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 time People still need to take PCR tests and there's the question marks over who pays for the PCR tests. Is it the people that have tickets or will it be paid for by UEFA or will it be paid for by clubs? I mean, how does it all work? Is moving it something you would be on board with? Because actually I'm going to go against Mali there and say I think just keep it in Istanbul. It's been designated to be in Istanbul for the last two or three years. Moving it logistically would cause a nightmare. You'd annoy too many sponsors and I know sponsors aren't exactly top of the priority list at the moment with the what with what's going on in football but it just seems like more hassle than it's worth and to be honest if I was a Manchester City or Chelsea fan going to Istanbul to watch your team compete I mean sounds like quite a nice trip for me wouldn't mind a trip to Istanbul myself um wouldn't even mind a trip just south of the border come and see your lovely wee faces at one point but I, I, I think the first thing um I would like to recommend is we actually pick up on something Marley said there and we rename UEFA the acronym the Union of European Football because <laughs> it seems to be that, that that's exactly what they are um and you mentioned there Niall that uh you know, during the pandemic, the, the, the corporate sponsors aren't exactly number one in the list of priorities. Well, they are for UEFA, and that's the only thing that matters to them. So they they won't move it. I would be in favour of it being in the UK simply because of the global pandemic reason as a one-off. But I think that the timing of it just makes it all a little bit difficult now, logistically, as you spoke about. Um, and you would have to promise or give Istanbul another Champions League final in the very near future probably the next one that hasn't already been decided. Mm. So right now, uh, I would prefer not to see people travelling across Europe uh, for a, a game of football, especially when both those clubs come from the one country. 
but it, it won't happen. I would I would like to see it happen because I think it would show a, a level of moral conscience that you wafer saying, look, we're going to put all that aside and actually you know, try and safeguard uh, the, the ability for people to go to football next season and prove that these things can work, especially as we know that the, the UK restrictions are lifting so quickly, but I, I doubt it will happen. Yeah, an interesting one. I can't see it moving from Istanbul, but I can understand the reasons why people would want it in the UK. I mean, as for the City fans who are saying move it to Wembley, you've played at Wembley hundreds of times. <laughs> Why do you the want Etihad, to play somewhere else? Etihad of the South. Yeah, yeah, Etihad South or whatever they call it. Anyway, thanks for your question, Simon. Appreciate it as just, always. Sorry, just on that quickly. There's, um, it's a 35-hour drive from the Etihad to uh, to Istanbul. I, I'd 100% take a couple of days off work and take a, take a car. If I was a Man <laughs> City fan, I'd be like, right, finish work on the Wednesday, do 12 hours drive down to yeah, I'd probably get to France in 12 hours, wouldn't you? And yeah, then probably. sleep in the car, another 12 hours the next day, end up in probably Austria, and then another 12 hours the next day, get to get to Istanbul, um, and then try and get a ticket. Try and buy one off Hankook Tyres or whoever's got all the tickets. <laughs> It'll be worth it for the memories, 100%. <laughs> Thanks for your question, Simon. Appreciate it, as always. This next question comes from another long-time listener, Nick. Thanks for your question, Nick. He says... Given how so many people, especially ex-pros and commentators, seem to lose their head over diving, why does everyone seem to love Fernandinho for his niggling fouls and the dark arts? Both could be considered a form of cheating. This is something you've spoken about before on the podcast, JP. You've mentioned the dark arts a few times on Football Social Daily. What's your opinion on this one? Because I see where Nick's coming from here. Yeah, I think he makes a very good point. And fair play, Nick. It's uh, both are a form of cheating and it seems to <laughs> we know as football supporters how selective we are and where we apply our morality um it's we pick and choose where it sits and it's you get to understand why players will uh dive and, and, and accentuate any little touch because quite often there are so many other things going on in the game referees don't pick up on that at one point you start to feel as if you're being cheated out of this and the only way to get the referee's attention is to be overly dramatic and how you you do it, but there's just something about I, I don't know what it is if it's if it's the human psychology of kind of cheating the system a wee bit where anyone who deploys the dark arts and kind of gets away with it is seen as a little bit of a rogue, you know, um, from yeah. uh, from kind of famous criminals over the years that that, that, that somehow are, are are painted in this kind of heroic freedom fighter light. <laughs> there's just something about the cheeky. Uh, exploitation uh, um, of uh, of these dark arts and the way that people get away with it, that, that, that kind of, there's something slightly more charismatic about it that's, that appeals to our, our sense of kind uh, of getting away with things and beating the system versus what is seen as the, the kind of over-the-top poser that, that tends to mm-hmm. throw himself on the floor and roll around with all sorts of histrionics. Yeah. I, I, is it, can we break it down and say it's seen as perhaps, and I, 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 I'm fully aware of the context of this, seen as more manly, more macho to uh, to do that than it is to fall on the ground and roll out holding your knee pretending to be in tears? I think it's a really good point you make. And if we actually strip it back to the bare components and just focus on the word foul, I mean, mm-hmm. tackling someone with no intention to get the ball is foul play. Yep. So it's not cheating. It's just foul play. Mm-hmm. Whereas diving, you actually are trying to con the referee into making a decision which isn't actually there. Making a foul is not trying to con the referee. 
you're deliberately doing that. And I think that even though I can see the point, there are some slight nuances there. But I think what you say about possibly it being seen as, you know, not as macho and, you know, the physicality of it all, I think that there's definitely something to be said for that. What do you think, Marley? Do you think that there is a difference between what Fernandinho does and those niggling fouls and those players that decide to try and con the referee by diving? Uh, there's a certain, there's a similarity, I suppose. Um, but I think, yeah, I think I agree with what you say. I think diving is slightly different in terms of, you know, it, it isn't part of the game, I suppose. But fouls, fouls almost are. Mm. Um, having said that, I, I do, I still think there's, there's scope and room in the game for uh, a more serious punishment for fouls mm. that you clearly mean yep. like a sin bin for example just give him 10 minutes off the pitch i think that's it that's a a good thing i think you know not trying to um pinpoint fernandinho even though it's that you know the question does for example but i'm, I'm sure he, he uh he means that it's wider than just him i mean i seen Jorginho last night when hazard turned i think it's about 25 minutes in hazard turned and was running at him Jorginho went, right, he's not going past me. No matter what happens, uh, something's coming with me, either the ball or the man or both. Um, and he, he chopped him down and it was kind of cynical, but you can almost say he made a play for the ball. He just didn't get it. He just wasn't bothered if he didn't get mm -hmm. it. Um, so th there's probably punishment scope for, for a punishment there. It's slightly worse than a yellow card, but not quite a red. Um, so I, I certainly see this, the similarities between the two things, but I think... Um, I think with, with tackling, you can almost think, I'll try and get the ball, but I'll leave my foot there just in case. And it's almost like an insurance policy, whereas mm. with diving, it's like, it doesn't matter whether the ball gets past the man or not, I'm going to go down because I think I'll get a penalty. Like, yeah. if he leaves his leg there, you've, you're actively making that decision to not chase the ball um, and to instead you know, fall over. Like Mason Mount could have last night, like I mentioned before, with Militao. He could have just ran into him and gone down. Probably would have got a penalty, mm. but he stayed on his feet, and that's that's good to see. But ultimately, if you were guaranteed a penalty, you'd probably you'd probably go down off that. And yeah. I don't know. It's it, it's a weird one to to kind of say is one worse than the other. But I would maybe think you know diving is more easily mm. eradicated than uh, than you know starting to take tackles out of football because I think we've gone to a point now in football where you. Uh, you almost can't tackle anymore if you yeah. slide in it's a yellow card no matter sometimes even if even if you do get the ball so it's a bit of a bit of a hard one to to judge on mm. a sort of blanket scale really interesting point actually and i think if i think back to what referees are told there's sort of three types of fouls there's careless fouls which are a free kick mm. there's reckless fouls which warrant a yellow card and then there's fouls that use excessive force which warrant a red card i think we see a lot of reckless fouls that don't get punished by yellow cards. I really do. And I'm not saying the referee yeah. should go around waving yellow cards more often, but how many of Fernandinho's fouls are genuinely careless compared to rec reckless? You know, what's the ratio there? Uh, what's, what's the difference between a careless foul and a cynical foul? <laughs> oh, there we go. That's uh, that's part of the classic football grey area that we always talk about. We back, we back on the George Michael conversation. Again. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for all your questions thanks simon thanks nick twitter's at the sports social instagram at sports social official and just search sports social on facebook and find us there we're going to be talking europa league next because there are two semi-finals tonight also involving two premier league clubs
Welcome back to Football Social Daily. I'm Niall, alongside me, John Paul Hughes and Marley Anderson. We're going to talk about the second legs of the Europa League semi-finals, which take place tonight, Thursday night. Manchester United travel to Rome, Arsenal host Villarreal, and Roma is the destination for United tonight. The Stadio Olimpico, they're 6-2 up on aggregate. United are pretty much guaranteed to be in the Gdansk final. However, the more interesting situation that we've got here, Marley, is that because of the protests at Old Trafford on Sunday, the game against Liverpool was called off. So United have now had that game rescheduled, which means they've got four games in seven days because of that Liverpool postponement. Starting with Roma tonight, then they play Villa on Sunday, Leicester has been moved to the Tuesday, and then they play Liverpool on Thursday. So in the next seven days, they've got four games Surely that's going to impact team selection not only tonight, but also in the forthcoming games. Well, it's good news for Donny van der Beek, isn't it? <laughs> you might get a game now. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a crazy one, isn't it? Um, in the short term, Man United fans might have done themselves, uh, done the team a favour <laughs> in terms of being fresh for this game. But you're 6-2 up from the first leg, aren't you? So, mm. uh, you know, maybe, maybe just uh, it's not going to don't really need that resty I suppose they could have rested plenty of players but I'd, I'd probably see them resting a couple tonight maybe Bruno Fernandes save him for Sunday you're probably saying you can play two out of those three games at, at full strength like you have most of the season but adding a third in there on one of your recovery days is uh, is a tall task so we're going to see luckily Man United are, are cemented in second I suppose so it doesn't really matter they're not going to finish outside of the top four um, there's no difference in terms of prize f- between finishing second and third. You still qualify for the group stages of the Champions League next year mm. um, automatically. So, I mean, it's not the biggest thing in the world. They'd con- concentrate on the Europa League, get to the final, cross that bridge when you come to it. Um, they're still going to go for every game. You know, they're not going to start, you know, throwing throwing kids out. And, you know, they've got a big enough squad to cope with it. But... It's just a it's a product of the the weird season we're having, isn't it? That mm. all this has happened towards the end. Um, and if they get to the final, you know, there's another game Thursday after next, and then the Wednesday after that. So you're talking about yeah. like another three or four games squeezed into a week as well. Yeah, um, but th- that tends to happen towards the end of the season at times, doesn't it? You you see teams doing really um, crazy things. Um, you're seeing everyone <laughs> everyone's played pretty much twice a week, especially uh, in Scotland, JP, when every game's. F- snowed off all the time <laughs> <laughs> snowing tuesday, tuesday thursday saturday tuesday oh, for the rest of the season <laughs> remember snowing yesterday i'm not joking oh goodness me um do you think jp though Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will play a weaker team tonight and then full strength for villa weaker team against leicester full strength against liverpool almost using two separate squads this week because to have someone like Bruno Fernandes, who does want to play every game, there is no doubt about that. He is keen to play every single Manchester United fixture. It's just unfeasible, even with today's sports science and recovery, to have a professional player play four games of 90 minutes in a week. I don't know if you get the memo, mate, but I think us three are starting in midfield for Manchester United tonight and we could still go through it, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, uh, it's, it's pretty ridiculous, but I, I had a look at that earlier and I think the only two absentees are long-term injuries you know Phil Jones and, and Martial are, are the only two kind of notable uh, missing from squad selection so he's certainly got plenty to choose from and 
I, I think you're right. I think you'll, you'll see completely different uh, teams take the field tonight and then um, sort of alternate that between those matches that are coming. But you, you need to be careful because we know that they're, they're pretty much guaranteed the place in that final. There's still lots and lots to play for. You've got players who'll be competing for places in that starting 11 for that final. Um, and then you've got also the, the, the fact that you, what you want to build is confidence. You want to make sure that these players are sharp. You want to, you know, you don't want to give too much rest to too many players because they can go slightly off the boil. And, and it's, a, it's a scenario and a situation that, that Chelsea and City both face as well with the, the kind of three-week gap now until the uh, until the Champions League final. So it's really, really interesting. And this is where Oli and, and the rest of these managers are really going to have to earn their wages because striking that balance between giving players rest, keeping motivation high and keeping them sharp is not an easy thing to do. Certainly isn't. Well, Roma, the opposition tonight, of course, let's not focus too much on the actual game because it's almost a given, barring a remarkable turnaround that Manchester United will be playing in the final in Poland in a couple of weeks' time. Roma's coach, Paolo Fonseca, has announced this week that he'll be stepping away from the club at the end of the season. And Roma have also announced Marley. Marley? Marley? Marley. <laughs> Marley. Steve Marley, the that, old uh, Fulham striker. <laughs> that one Jose Mourinho is going to go into Rome and try and turn things around. What do you make of that? Uh, yeah, he's going to turn things around because they're going forwards and they'll be going backwards <laughs> anytime soon. <laughs> um, nah, I, I don't know. I, I like I like Mourinho. I like him as a character. Um, but it's hard to uh, to make a case for him having done anything other than rock the boat at every club he's been at since 2010. Mm. Um, it's no surprise he wanted to go back to Italy. Um, obviously, that's the scene of probably his probably his pinnacle of his career um, with the the treble with Inter in 2010-11. So probably no surprise that he wants to go and try that again. Um, it's slightly different style to England, slightly slightly slower and to bring out all the cliches it's a little bit more defensive a little bit more to his philosophy type of thing um but we'll see what he can do i think paulo fonseca's done okay i think roma are always destined to be one of those teams i think where they're on the outskirts of everything they're never really involved in the title challenge they're always fourth or fifth and on that sort of straddling the line between europa league and uh, champions league but so the expectations aren't exactly what they were at probably Man United or maybe even Spurs. So we'll see what he can do. Um, we'll see if it is a him problem or it's a, uh, it's a, a sort of club problem. With mm. you know this time in a year, you know they could they could be anywhere. I mean, we look at look at the Roman squad. They've got Smalling and Mkhitaryan, and he didn't like them at Man United. So he's yeah. instantly got a problem there, hasn't he? So he's got plenty of players to um, to sort out because there's. There's an, an ageing squad there at, at Roma, but there's also some good young players like Zaniolo and uh, Spinazzola and, mm. you know, fair fair few OK players, but he has to bring them across, um, bring them through and, and build on what they've got. And, you know, it, it, it all just makes tonight a bit of a damp squib because, you know, obviously they're out of the game anyway at 6-2. They've announced the manager's leaving in the between the two legs and mm. it's kind of like they've given up on this season and just gone oh well we'll try again next year with Mourinho and see what happens there but I don't know we'll see what he can do but it's I mean the wise money is on him arriving tearing <laughs> up and leaving again <laughs> so you know we'll see what happens yeah I think Rome is a weird one because they're a big club but they're also not at the same time a bit like Tottenham Tottenham are a big club but they don't win stuff so they're yeah. not it's a very strange one 
Did either of you see the headlines <laughs> um, from his uh, from his pals in the press about uh, heroic Jose taking a three and a half million pound uh, a year pay cut to go to Roma? <laughs> uh, this is all this is all over uh, some newspapers whose names I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, give. Uh, the uh, the publicity to by mentioning their name, but <laughs> they're trying to position this that he's taking a three and a half million pound pay cut to go to Roma to <laughs> to, to reignite his career and isn't he? Well, listen to this. What a good guy. No, he's not. I know <laughs> he was earning sixteen million euros a year at Tottenham, right? They've just paid him thirty million pay- to get rid of him. <laughs> well, here you go. He'll be paid seven million euros per year by Roma. Tottenham are also going to pay him nine million euros per year for the next two seasons, meaning that he'll earn thirty nine million euros across the next three years by joining <laughs> Roma. What a man! What a hero! I hope the working class people of Rome fall to their knees and welcome them with the open arms he deserves, man. I tell you what, he's but, going, uh, he's going to turn up in Roma. He's going to buy the Trevi Fountain and put it in his. Bathroom, <laughs> I tell you what, though, if you've ever been for a, you've ever been to Rome uh, for a weekend, you'll need that money just to survive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is for the most expensive city I've ever been it, to. To be fair, <laughs> bottle of sparkling water, he's going to need it. Um, so Manchester United travel to Rome. They should be through to the final. Who will be joining them though? Will it be Arsenal or be Real? The Spanish side two one up at the moment, but they travel to the Emirates in fear of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, or at least that's what former Arsenal coach Unai Emery, who's now the BRL boss, is saying. Should they be scared of him, Mali? Who, Aubameyang? Yeah. Uh, no, not on this season's form. What's he got in the Premier League? Is it four or five goals? Hmm. Well, two of them well, came I'll tell you what he's got, malaria, and he's struggling to recover from it by the sounds of it. Uh, yeah, well, he, he, still, he scored against the mighty Newcastle last weekend, <laughs> so I think I think he's all right. Nah, he'll be all right. I think... Um, He's just he's just been way off it this season, hasn't he? And it's mm. a, it's one of them Arsenal problems where you um you give him a contract, you give a player a contract, and all of a sudden he he starts playing way under what he can. Um, so I think he's got something to prove, Aubameyang. And there's no bigger time, to be honest, than tonight to mm. uh, to prove that and say, you know, I'm here and we're still um I'm still committed to the club and let's <laughs> let's get to a European final. I'm still fighting for this title. Yeah. They've got to go to the Emirates and get something. Yeah. <laughs> um they could have Tierney back, uh player you're fond of, JP. If you're Arteta, do you throw him straight in after injury? Because you're two one down in the European semi final, your league form's not up to much. Pretty much your whole season is hinging mm-hmm. on getting to the Europa League final and winning it. Do you throw him in? Straight into the mix after injury, he's been out for a few weeks, or is it too risky? I think you have to. I, th- I think the game's so important for them that uh, their entire season uh, depends on this. So, uh, unless you know he, he's got a different uh, tactical plan, I, th- I think the team that Arteta chooses tonight is going to be quite interesting because you, you know the way that Emery plays, um, and, and and we saw this at Arsenal as well. And, and he's not afraid to sit deep um, away from home and, and kind of try and absorb that pressure. Um, and if he does so. Tierney is is absolutely superb, uh, not only getting um, in behind opposing fullbacks, but actually crossing from deeper positions too. Um, and he's quite comfortable cutting in. And so I I think he's he's just too good not to start if he's fit to. So I would get him straight in there as well. But talking about Aubameyang there as well, I, I don't know if he's the right man to start there tonight as well. I think with the way Villarreal are going to play uh, and come to London, that it could be more your you know Lacazette and Smith Rowe and these people who it's, it's about coming a little bit short or moving the ball really quick, try to draw Villarreal out. And as you manage to do that, get in behind them a little bit. It's, it's quite a fascinating game tonight, I think. Well, will we see two Premier League sides in the Europa League final as well as the Champions League final? We'll find out tonight as Arsenal play Villarreal and Roma take on Manchester United. 
Of course, we'll have full reaction to those games on tomorrow's podcast. But for today, that's it. Thank you as always, JP. Thanks very much, Marley. Make sure you hit subscribe. That way you won't miss another episode of the show again. And we'll catch you again tomorrow on Football Social Daily.